amazing when you think about the entire Bible being downloaded. I mean, how, how hard do you take, how long does it take you to memorize one scripture? How long does it take you to go, what does it say? What did that scripture say? You know, as we begin to think about the supernatural, I, uh, today we're going to share a, a message called Expect a Miracle. And this message is really built around the idea of giving. The thing that I've seen in ministry, my entire ministry, is there's nothing that grabs the heart of a man faster, changes him quicker in his commitment to God when he releases his finances to the Father. I don't know what it is about that principle, but greater than any challenge I've ever seen, when men release their finances to God, God is able to take them and spiritually move them to a new level. All through the years, I've seen how wives have tried to push husbands to do something. You know what I'm talking about, ladies? Just give yourself a holy nod, yes, all right? Okay, or an unholy elbow to the guy next to you. But you see, what is it? But, but when God gets your heart, no amount of urging, no amount of pressure, no amount of anything can transform you quicker in, when, in, until it comes to that point of obedience in your life. Let me, let me put it like this. God will meet your expectations. What do you expect God to do in your life? He's doing that. You say, I don't really expect God's going to do much. He's doing that. I expect God to do a lot. He's doing that. I don't really expect the favor. You're not getting the favor. I don't expect the blessing. You're not getting the blessing. You know, one of the great challenges for us was when we started this church two years ago, that we started and no one was on payroll. And I had to make a decision. We had to make a decision as a household. What will we do in terms of giving? Because we can give out of the things we had saved, or we can wait until a paycheck comes. And we decided we were going to give from day one on what we expected we might earn that year. And as we were faithful, you know, God just blessed us through that time in an amazing way. And I have, through my entire ministry, we have through our entire life uh, as a couple, we have always honored God in our giving. It's always interesting when, when people hear one message on giving, they usually say something like this. All they ever talk about is money. Have you ever noticed that when you have a bruise and somebody touches it, it's sensitive? And they can touch the rest of your body and it's not sensitive at all. But you touch that one spot where it is sensitive and people respond. I always tell people, if you uh, don't give, don't tell anybody that all he ever talks about is money because they will know then that you don't give. I heard a story about a family that went to church and they were going to have a great time. They were looking, they were doing church shopping, church after church after church, trying to fight all the right combination of sermon and student ministry and children's ministry and preaching and everything else. And they're, on the, they're, they're coming home in the car and the husband and wife, they're talking, and the, the husband's saying, you know, the sermon wasn't very good today. And the wife said, you know, the music wasn't very good today. And the daughter said, I didn't like any of the students there today. And the little boy, he'd been taking everything in the entire time. He'd watched when the music went, the preaching went. He watched when the offering went by, and he saw his dad reach into his pocket and throw a dollar in the offering plate. He said, I don't know, Dad. It looked like a pretty good show for a dollar. 
We were out to dinner with some friends not too long ago, and, and they picked up the bill, thank God, and uh, it was $100. And the person made the comment, four of us for $100, that was a great meal for $100. Why is it that $100 at a restaurant seems like a great deal, and $100 at church seems overwhelming? It is because where our heart is. It's where our ownership is. Who owns the earth, the cattle, the gold, the silver? Who owns all things? It is God. And when we begin to think about God, you know, the Bible tells us that, that we are to be happy in our giving, joyful in our giving. I can remember growing up, and my dad was, was one of those guys that every, he was military, so everything was in order. The shoes were shined the night before. The check was written the night before, and everything was laid out and ready to go. Now, if my dad didn't go to church, they didn't get an offering. I guess it was, if I don't see the show, I don't pay. That was just the way he operated. But I still remember how, how that impressed me, that he prepared himself for what was going to happen. My dad was not a super religious guy. He wasn't a guy that sat around and read the Bible, and, and it was later in life that he actually came to faith in Christ. Later in life that he would understand something about what it means to read this Bible, understand this Bible. But he had set a principle in his life, a principle of discipline. And I think that's in large what giving is all about. When you came in today, you got a dime. Everybody got a dime? Now you're going to be able to say, if you didn't get one, we have more. Now I want you to be able to say, I went to church and they gave me money. Now, granted, it wasn't much money, right? It was just a dime. Have you ever noticed how small a dime is? Every, have you got your dime? Just grab your dime and let's take a look at it. I anticipate we're going to see a lot of dimes in the offering today. <laughs> but look how small a dime is. It's about the size of my thumbnail. It's just a small little item. Have you ever noticed if I put a zero past that 10 cents, how it looks bigger, it becomes a dollar. And then I put another zero and, and it keeps growing and it becomes 100, 1,000, then 10,000, 100,000. And it's all about the zero, isn't it? You know, when I, when I think about a dime and I think about, you know, that's not very much. I could give God a dime. And then I think, well, you know, I could give God a dollar. And I, I could give God $10. Well, I could give God $100 if I really felt moved. $1,000 I have to really think about. $10,000, now you're in a whole new league. $100,000, I'd just like to have $100,000, amen? But what is it that keeps us from that? It is who owns this dime. Now right now you say, I own this dime because you gave it to me. Or you could say, well, it really belongs to the church, so I'm going to put it in the offering plate. I'm going to ask you not to put it in the offering plate. I'm going to ask you to keep it in your pocket, and I want you to think about this message throughout the week and just say, I'm going to look at that dime, and I'm going to think about this message and what it means. Let's take our Bibles and open, if you will, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. And listen to what the Bible has to say. But this I say unto you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. How many of you have ever been on a farm or planted a seed in your life? Ever done that? You know there's an amazing law called the law of the harvest. 
that I'm going to, I'm going to reap what I sow. And it's amazing how God has woven that in, not just into the physical realm, but into the spiritual realm as well. It says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. And the word there is hilarious. Now, I have yet to see an offering being taken where people start laughing over what they gave. They said that this is just so much fun to give. I want to give more, and I want to give more, and I just love giving away. The people who have that kind of a heart have seen what God can do, have seen God move into their life in such a miraculous way that they cannot deny the hand of God moving in their life in that situation. When you begin to see God move, you just say, God, I don't know how this works. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that, that I sat down to write my check, my tithe check, and I said, you know, God, I could really use this money. But God, I'm releasing it to you. And I'm releasing it to you with joy. I'm releasing it to you freely, God, because I believe this book is true. I really do. And it says that God is able that is, with our faith in trusting God's ability to make all grace abound, that is, exceed the number. You see, here's what it comes down to. Do I believe that God's word is true? You see, some of us nod our head and say, yes, I do believe it's true, but, but not in that area. Now, we would never admit that. We would never say, well, I don't believe it's true in that area. I'd just say, I, don't, I just don't practice that. That's not a part of my life. Well, if I ask you, do you believe God's word is true about salvation? Oh, absolutely, and I'll tell people about it. But why is it we're selective in it? It says here that God is able to make all grace abound. That means that God is going to make up the difference in your life, and he's going to take care of you if you really believe in God. That you always have an all-sufficiency. That is, you don't have a need that God doesn't meet. Somehow, God comes through. It might be in the last moment of the last hour of the last second, but God comes through in your life. And it says that, that you may have an abundance for every good work as it is written. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies the seed. Now where do you get the seed? You get it from God. You see, ultimately everything is God's, isn't it? It's really about management. What will I do with God's stuff. Will I hold it? Will I keep it? Will I release it? How much will I give back to God what is God's? And it says he gives seed to the sower, bread for food, he will supply and multiply. You see, God is, a, is an investor. God has invested in you. He invested his son in you. He gave his son for you that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And what does he do? As he invests in you, he expects you to invest in other people. He expects to see a multiplying effect take place. It says, God will multiply the seed that you have sown, increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality. Why does God give me money? Why does God give me an increase so I can be more generous? God doesn't give me more so I can hold on to it. God doesn't give me more so that I can be tight-fisted with, with other people or with God. 
God gives me more that I might learn liberality. And the more he gives, the more I release. The more he gives, the more I release. And it says, which causes a thanksgiving, a thanksgiving through us to God. Now let's think about this idea of generosity for a moment. It's a principle of the kingdom. Generosity is a principle of the kingdom. You know, one of the reasons I give, I love the way I feel when I give. I don't feel selfish when I give. When I withhold, I feel selfish. Somebody says to me, you know, even even if I drive up and I see a guy on the side of the road and he's got a sign and it says, you know, out of work, need money, and even if he's wearing brand new Nike tennis shoes and I don't give him something, I feel guilty. And I think, why do I feel that way, God? Because God says, because I give you, you hold up a sign for me all the time with new Nike tennis shoes, and I bless you. It's not because you deserve it. I bless you because that's who I am. Because I am by nature generous, and God created us to be generous people. When you release, even if it's a small amount of money, it's amazing how you feel about that. And as I increase that level, I mean, I remember one time I I pulled up and I thought the light would never change. Have you had those moments? There's the guy with the sign. It's the longest red light in human history right now. And now he starts to move his way down to car, to car, to car. And I'm thinking, oh, God, just turn the light green now. I mean, this is an unrighteous prayer, right? God, turn the light green as fast as I can so I can get out of here so I don't have to release. He comes up. I feel guilty. I roll the window down. I think, okay, I'm going to give him a dollar. I reach in my pocket. Have you had these moments? And the only thing you've got in there is a five. I think, five. Dang, I can't ask the guy for change. (laughs) What do I do here, right? I go, here you go. God bless you. As I drove off, my thought was, I feel good about that. I don't know what he'll do with it. It's not my responsibility. It's not only my responsibility to to release back, to give back, and because I need to give. If I don't give, I become selfish. I I become a survivalist. I'm all about me. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter six and verse 38. It says, give, and it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, uh, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, to the degree that you're generous, other people and God will be generous to you. If I don't give, I can't receive. And we've always heard this, it's more blessed to give, right? But why does it feel so good to receive then? You see, because we are also picking up the joy. Have you ever noticed when someone has a gift and they can't wait for you to open it? My wife will get me a gift for birthday and she'll set it out the night before. And I'll say, can I open it? She said, it's not your birthday. She's tantalizing and teasing me with that, right? But I see the joy in her face. I don't even know what it is. I don't even know if I'm gonna like it. But I like her response because she's got joy in her heart. She wants to give it. I'm picking up on the spirit of generosity, There's also a spirit of greed. You know, the Bible calls that mammon. And mammon is actually something spiritual. 
It's actually an attachment of an evil spirit that ties itself to this concept of money. You see, money can be good, money can be bad. It's all about loving. Who do you love? I love God. Then that money that you have, when you release it, you see it has a blessing on it. You say money can be evil. How's that? The love of money is the root of all evil. It's when I love it and I hold on to it and I won't release it. It takes on a spirit of evil. And that evil is called greed. That evil is called I don't trust God because if I really trusted God, I would release it and say, God, it's all yours anyway. I'm going to trust you. Randy Alcorn wrote a book called The Treasure Principle, and in in his book he wrote this, whenever we give our resources to further God's kingdom, we cast a ballot for Christ and against Satan, for heaven and against hell. Do you know when I take and I release money into the kingdom of God, you know what I'm really doing is I'm saying I don't buy into the lie of darkness. I don't buy into the law of greed. I don't buy into the law of selfishness. I trust in the Lord, and I'm going to, I want to see his kingdom further. I want to see it move forward. You know, when I look around and I think about what God has done uh, with us in, in, in just a two and a half years of, of our existence, I realize this church was birthed on generosity. It didn't happen. Buildings like this just don't happen in two years. It is because people rallied together and they said, we want to be of generous heart and generous spirit. And I, no one, no one that I can remember ever talking to me in those early days or in any point regrets their generosity. No one says, I wish I wouldn't have been generous. I just hate the way I feel when I'm generous. I hate the way I feel when I give. No, they rejoiced in it. And even stepped up and said, I want to do more. Sometimes you'll, you'll see a person, they'll say, you know what? As I begin to think about it, what God is doing, it makes me want to be even more generous with my time and with my talent, with all the things I have. You see, we have to start counting at 10. Start counting at 10. Let me explain to you. And the reason why we gave you a dime is because literally the word dime comes from a word that means a tenth. The word tithe means a tenth. No one has tithed until they've given the first tenth of their income. 3% is not a tithe. You know the average giving of churches, of Christians in America, is about 2% of their annual income? I want you to think about in your mind right now, think about what did you give last year unto the Lord? Multiply that times 52. Multiply that that times 500 or 1,000 and ask what's the bottom line? Can a church run on that? Now, I'm not giving this sermon because we're out of money. I'm giving this sermon because some of you are out of blessings. There's a difference. We don't need your money to turn the lights on today. The lights are on. We don't need your money to pay salary. The salaries are paid for this week. But you need to understand the principle of the kingdom. And if I'm, not, if I'm not faithful to this truth, do you realize that Jesus spoke more about money than he ever spoke about heaven or hell? Why do you think he'd do that? Because he knew where your heart is. That's where your love and that's where it's all going to be wrapped up together. In Malachi chapter 3, listen to what it says. Bring the whole tithe, that means 10%, into the storehouse. That's a local church. So that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this. Can you imagine God said, put me to the test? 
It's the only place in Scripture where God says, test me. Nowhere else does he say it. In other words, God says, would you let me prove something to you? I know you don't believe this, but would you let me prove this to you? I had a, a man in my church that came to me, and after a, ter- a sermon on tithing, he said, there's no way I can possibly tithe. And I said, really? And he said, yes, and I've brought all my finances. I want to show them to you. He said, I'm working two jobs. He opened up everything. He showed it to me, and he was in the deficit every single month, and it was not giving a penny. I said, I'm going to put you to a challenge. Here's the challenge. I want you to start tithing, and I want you to tithe for 90 days. If God doesn't somehow work a miracle, whatever you've given, I'll give you back personally from my own account. Now, have you ever had those moments when you said something and you regretted it? (laughs) That was one of those moments. He walked out and I said, what did I just say? And then God said, well, do you believe the kingdom or not? You see, because he was putting me to the test over his test. Now, what made it worse was I gave him 90 days. So in the first 30 days, he came to me. He said, I faithfully tithe every week for 30 days. I'm getting deeper in the hole. Whose prayer life do you think went up the most? His or mine? God, where are you? We need a little bit of movement here. Maybe just a little bump would help. Second month, he comes to me. Deeper in the hole, no movement, seen nothing. Now, he was working as an airplane mechanic, and he was trying to get hired with a major airline. And so as he kept working and kept working, we get down to the last 15 days. He called me up, and he said, Pastor, I may have some movement. Thank you, Jesus. I'm thinking more for me than him right now. I have to admit a little selfishness on my part. I said, oh, well, tell me about it. He said, well, I'm, being, I'm gonna be flown to Tulsa. They're gonna give me an interview, and if this goes well, I could get this job. I said, great. How many applicants are there for this position? Well, that's the bad news. Over 3,000 applicants for this position. Now my faith goes back into gear again. I'm praying, God, we need to eliminate 2,999 options. You know how this prayer works. You pray these kind of prayers, right? So he flies down there. He calls me up. He said, I've got good news. I've been, I've been narrowed down. The group's been narrowed down to five people. Well, now my faith is going back up. I'm saying, God, now we just need to eliminate four people. You didn't answer my first prayer, God, but I'd like to come on through with this second one, right? And so uh, he went down there and he took the interview and they interviewed the second interview and they, they interviewed the five And he called me up and he said, I want to tell you, I got the job. I said, well, tell me what happened in that interview. Well, I was sitting in that interview and they asked me a question and it related, I thought it related to my faith. And so I, she said something like, why do you want this job? And he said, you know, I want to take care of my family. I'd like the opportunity to to work for the major airline. And I really believe that God will, has honored, is going to honor my tithing. Now, it's an unusual thing to say in an interview, wouldn't you admit? And the, the lady that was giving the interview stopped, and she looked him in the eye, and she said, you're a Christian, aren't you? He said, it was in that moment, I didn't know whether she meant that for good or for evil. Because she could have been thinking, well, you're a fanatic, and I don't know if we want you working on an airline. You might just say, well, I fixed it, but by faith, you believed it was fixed. 
She said, yes, ma'am, I am a Christian. And I've been putting God to the test. I've been tithing. My pastor challenged me to tithe 10% every month, and I've been doing it, and I've been going deeper in the hole, but this job was, was an opportunity. And she said, I'm a Christian too, and I'm giving you the job. You say, well, that doesn't sound like fair personnel policies. In the kingdom, it is. <laughs> About a year went by. He moved to Tulsa. Knock on my door. Opened the door. Recognized the guy immediately. I said, what's going on? He said, I wanted to come tell you the story. He said, I have the job. Everything is going well. She said, he said, it even worked out better because I have airline privileges. Now we can see our whole family. We've saved more money. And I want you to know that now I'm giving 20% of my income unto God. And he blesses me more and more every day. Now let me tell you something. That's not an unusual story. That story I could repeat over and over again in my ministry. I could also repeat the story over and over again of the person who says I can't afford to give or when I get a lot of money, I can do this. I could tell you a hundred times about the people who came to me and said something like this. Well, you know, I either need a lot of money or a miracle. Why would you even want a lot of money if you could have a miracle? Why would you want a great job if you could see God work showing your life? If you could encounter the living God in your daily living and all that you do, why would you even want that when you could see the hand of God? As you begin to look at this, he says, test me now in this. It says in Malachi chapter 3, if I will not open the windows of heaven and I will pour down a blessing on you until it overflows. And when I read that, I, I thought, what, what is going on, God? I believe in an open heaven where the miracles of God are freely available, where the Spirit of God is moving everywhere we go. Why would you talk about windows in an open heaven? And then it occurred to me that open heaven are those things that are accessed by faith. You see, faith is the currency of the realm. If you go into Europe, you have to get euros. You can't pay with dollars. If you go into the kingdom of heaven, you can't pay with good works. You have to pay with faith. But then what about the windows of heaven? If the open heaven is accessed by faith, what about the windows of heaven? And then I realized that open windows are, ex are only accessed by obedience. That the financial blessings, the prosperity that God promises are never offered by faith but by obedience. I began to think about the ministry of Jesus. A man brought a demon-possessed boy to the disciples. They could not cast the demon out. They brought him to Jesus. He said, how long must I be with you, this faithful genera faithless generation? Bring the boy to me. He prayed for him. The boy was delivered, and the disciples were perplexed. What happened? We don't understand. He said, these kind only come out by prayer, there's faith, and fasting, there's obedience. You see, the, the promises tied to the spiritual kingdom in, in terms of money and prosperity and favor and blessings, they're always tied to obedience. God will not bless you financially because you have faith. God will bless you financially because you're obedient to what God has revealed in his word. It is because it is the law of the harvest. You see, you cannot, you cannot reap unless you sow. If I don't put something in the ground, I can't reap. I'm going to hold up some of my agricultural produce right here. Can you see that? It's kind of small. That's an ear of corn that I grew. 
Now, you probably don't want me being your farmer. This is a great way to, to, to drive America into famine if I were raising corn. But the law of the harvest worked. It didn't produce much. There's maybe 60 grains on this kernel or kernels on this, uh, this ear of corn. But that's a 60 to 1 return. But you see, I, what I planted, I reaped. But I could not reap unless I planted, and I reap later than I planted. It took, a, it took a while to grow this. This is not an overnight deal. I sweated months waiting for this thing to produce itself. Watered it, fertilized it, nurtured it, spoke to it, loved it, did everything, and that's what I got. But you reap later, but you always reap more than you sow. You see, and that's the principle of the kingdom. That's the principle of the law of the kingdom. If I took an average ear of corn, it has 640 kernels on it. I know because I countered it. Every stalk has two. Now think about that. That's 1,280 kernels that come from one kernel. And one kernel multiplies itself, 1,280 then on a stalk. The next generation, are you ready for this multiplying factor? 1,537,600 kernels come from just one generation. I take those 1,280, I put them in the ground, they produce, and again, it begins to multiply and begins to multiply. Here's another principle. When we are faithful in our giving, we regain strategic territory forfeited to the enemy. There's some areas of your life that the enemy has moved into because you have not been giving. You say, well, how do you know I don't give? I don't know. But I suspect that you know. Am I right? What, what's going on in my life? There's areas in my life where, why is that in there? And it is because what I've done is I've not guarded the access points of my life. See, there are areas in your life that are access points to the enemy. He's going to slip in there quickly. He's going to grab control. And you know, what, you know what fear is? Fear is faith in the wrong God. Well, what if I don't make it? Wrong God. What if I don't have enough money? Wrong God. What if I don't get through the month? Wrong God. Faith in the right God is I'm going to be obedient unto God regardless what happens. I'm going to trust God with the end result and see what God can do. Refuse to let go of the destiny that God has for you. God has prepared great things for you. Refuse to let go of that. Any thought that does not inspire hope is rooted in a lie. You ever had those thoughts? They don't bring hope to you. They don't bring joy to you. They don't bring anything to you. Those are rooted in a lie. See, the hope is, God, I believe in the harvest. I believe in the harvest. Look what it says here. It says in verse 10, now he who supplies the seed to the sower. Who gave me the seed in the first place? It was God. It's God's ultimately, right? He says he will, he will supply and multiply the seed that you may have an increase in the fruit of righteousness. Look at this. My financial giving is directly related to my righteousness. I have an increase in righteousness when I'm obedient to my giving. That's interesting, isn't it? I can regain ground. Interesting story in Luke chapter 8, verse 38, it says this. Now, the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. Now, imagine, here's this guy whose life is a disaster. He's possessed by evil spirits. Everybody in the, in the city is afraid of him. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He's, he's transformed. This demon is, is taken out of him. He's now in whole mind and everything about him. And all he wants to do is be with Jesus. He says, can I go with you? Can I just be with you? But you know what? Jesus wouldn't let him. When I read that story, I thought, why don't you let the guy hang with you for a little while? I mean, he, you know, the guy is going to be like a great spokesman. He's, he's going to tell everybody. But look what it says in the scripture. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. Hey, you've been given, now you go give. You've been given, now you go give. You've been changed, now go tell. You've been transformed, now go transform. You've been, you've been given life, now go get life. You've been given resources, now go give resources. You've been given generosity, now go give generosity. Give back, always give back. He went throughout that whole city. He says he went his way and proclaimed through the whole city. Imagine this guy walking through town. This is a guy everybody was afraid of. He's walking through town. People seem, there he is. There's the demon-possessed guy. You know, maybe his clothes were still ragged. Maybe his hair was still matted back. Maybe he was still dirty. But he had a different voice coming out of that mouth. No longer was it that demon that was speaking. Now it was the power of God, and it was transforming the city. He proclaimed, he proclaimed the whole city what great things God had done, what Jesus had done for him, for him. I can only proclaim what I practice. I can't proclaim that God has blessed me if I don't give. If I do, then I get the credit. Well, how did you get that blessing? Well, I don't know. I just got it, but I didn't give back. I just kept it for myself. There's a story in the, in the gospel where a man is told to be a very rich man. And this rich man says he's, got, he's had bumper crops. Things are going so well. He's built a silo and another barn and another silo and another barn and everything is well. And he's contemplating his future. And he says, you know what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to get more investments. I'm going to buy more houses. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And here's what it says, the most telling scripture. It says, you fool. Don't you know that tonight your soul is required of you? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? What is that going to do for you in the end? Here's some, here's some life applications. Here's the first one. Your faith, which I like to call risk, releases God's miracles. Your faith releases God's miracles. Do you need a miracle in the area of finance? Exercise faith and obedience. Release. You cannot reap in heaven what you do not sow on earth. You cannot reap in heaven. There are a lot of people that are going to be shocked in heaven because they had it all together. They were wealthy. They were successful. They were, they were retirement was settled. They were rich on earth, but they get to heaven and they're paupers. And then what happened to me? I had everything on earth. You invested in that kingdom, and that kingdom gave you its reward. But now I find myself in eternity, and I'm, I'm a pauper. I have the least responsibility. I'm living in the smallest house. I'm, I'm, I've got the, the least respect in the kingdom. Why? Because I wasn't generous. Think about the most generous person in the universe. It's God the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
the most precious thing that he could give his only son that you might have life. And that only son, as he hung on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Look at the love that came there. Look at the sacrifice that came there because of that love. You see, there's unmerited grace. In other words, you can be saved without any, doing anything except believing. But there's never unmerited rewards. You see, we have to think in terms of two kingdoms. This kingdom, how do I function in this kingdom that is going to leverage me for that kingdom as well? How do I think when I'm in this kingdom how I advance the kingdom of God on this earth? And I begin to put all that together. You see, the scripture really reminds us that we should never, never delay obedience in our life. When the Spirit of God speaks, we're to respond. When he says this, respond. When he says that, respond. I remember we were, we were just newly married. We made almost no money at all. We're sitting in a church service, and I had a $20 bill in my pocket, and they had a man up there preaching, and he was going to take a love offering. You know, it's when you want to get up and go to the bathroom. Do you know what I'm talking about? Man, i got to leave. Kids are acting up. Got to get out of here. And we were sitting right in the front. Key, if you don't want to be giving, don't sit in the front, right? <laughs> I reached in my wallet, and we were leaving the next day to take a student, some students to Texas from Louisiana. And all I had was a gas credit card and $20. That's all I had to get to Texas and back. You know it was going to be a lot of Twinkies on the road. I reached my wallet, and I thought about it, and I put it back in. I thought, no, it's only got $20. Reached my wallet, I pulled it out. Tammy looked over at me, and she gave me that look like, are you serious? And I'm going, yeah, maybe not, and I put it back. I pulled it back out. I said, I'm going for it, because it doesn't make any sense anyway. What's $20 going to do for me? Threw it in the offering plate. Went home happy, just wondering what God was going to do, laughing about giving my last $20 to this guy. Next day, a guy walked up to me. He says, hey, preacher, aren't you going to Texas next week? And I said, uh, yeah, I am. And, or he said, um, well, you know, I've been thinking about it, and God put it on my heart. And he reached in his pocket, and he handed me a $100 bill. Now, I know the skeptic would say, oh, he was going to give that to you anyway. But the man with a spiritual mind would say, you know, God responded. Your obedience responded in that. You see, I began by saying, we don't need you to give today to keep lights on or to pay salaries this week. We're fine. You need to give in order to begin to understand the blessings in the hand of God in your life. You need to release anything that holds you back from the kingdom of God. You need to grow in this area of your life. And we want to give you that opportunity to hear it and to respond to it. Let's play, pray as we receive our offering today. Heavenly Father, as we come to this point of just responding in faith to what you've said to us. God, I know that some may not be prepared to, uh, to give today. They didn't know this was going to be a part of their life part of the process that God was going to move in their heart but God as you move in a heart let every person consider what they can do and what they should do in order to grow into the kingdom of God that you've set before them Father we need to grow as people we need to grow into this kingdom mindset 
that sees the blessings and sees the favor of God and experiences it on a daily basis. God, we ask you just to open the windows of heaven for those who are faithful. God, we know you're going to close the windows to those who aren't. Because you want to teach us as children obedience and you want to teach us faith. So God, in this spiritual kingdom we live, we believe that your hand is moving. We believe that the